Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And delighted to say we're joined today by uh, Alan Holland, who's the founder and CEO of Kielvar. Uh, Alan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Sorry for that bumbling intro. I don't know why I was tripping over my words there. Um, congratulations on your big raise. You raised 16 million euro a couple of months ago. Yes, that's right. Um, we have uh, new investors from the US, UK and Germany uh, all joined up for a big, big round of investment, uh, hopefully for big future growth plans. I want to talk to you about that in a while. Just first, just give for people who don't know the company Give me the, um, I'm not going to say to give me the, the investor pitch, just give me the dumbed down yeah. version of the investor pitch. Yes. Uh, so at Kilvar, yeah, we help big enterprises buy at scale and, and reason about hundreds or thousands of suppliers and who are the, I suppose, the hidden gems out there amongst the suppliers. And that's what we help them do. And... Why would they not be able to discover this themselves otherwise? It, it's the, the biggest challenge that large enterprises tend to find is that there are thousands of suppliers and, and that supplier community is changing all the time and it's adapting quickly. So trying to reason about just the sheer volume of data they get from suppliers and who is well-placed to do what, and where and when, and what constraints have they got, what economies of scale have they got. Uh, you could be facing huge volumes of data that tends to slow down decision-making. Hmm. So you need systems to help you reason about what suppliers are willing to do for you and optimize what you uh, need to do quickly. So some uh, tenders or uh, RFQs, as they call them, for enterprises can take months and months and months. And we want to get that down to weeks or days. Um, that's the objective. So you've built a layer of software there that can uh, use algorithmic or machine learning? Yeah. So our, fir our first product was called a Sourcing Optimizer. So optimization is all about Kind of taking uh, rich information and helping businesses find the right trade-offs. So do you go with the fastest option, the uh, cheapest option, or the option that keeps as many incumbents as possible, or a mixture of all of the above? And it, doing that at scale requires optimization. Now, 
the trouble with optimization is it's, it's like the Ferrari of e-sourcing. It's sophisticated and many people working in procurement are just wary of trying to trying to drive that Ferrari. So what we built as our second offering was bots, like autopilot, autopiloting this Ferrari for you. So uh, for enterprises, that hits the nail on the head. It hits a few nails on the head. You can scale up your use of best practice. You can be more agile. You can respond to market disruptions faster and initiate auctions or RFQs before your competitors have even realized they need to buy um, alternative supplies. What kind of, I could ask this about any uh, AI integration um, in what was might formerly have been a semi-manual process, what kind of oversight, human oversight, do we need? We're very used to the idea of um, algorithmic tools being used, for example, in trades, in the financial world. Big, big innovation there 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, what's to stop uh, something crazy entering the procurement system uh, this way? Yeah, so you can... Well, I would say, yeah, this is like uh, next, this is like algorithmic supply chain management, right? So you're taking what's happened in Wall Street 10, 15 years ago, you're applying it in the world of supply chain management. So you're very right to say, like, okay, there's been some disasters in Wall Street where algorithms have gone mad, uh, either selling too much or buying too much. Uh, so what you want to bake into your algorithms are, are robustness and resilience. So... This is where C-Level can actually start to control. They can control bots uh, better than you can control humans because humans may be incentivized to buy lowest cost and they get commission based on going with the, uh, you know, achieving savings targets, etc. And that's a very crude weapon. And senior decision makers in procurement realize that's very crude. So you can actually control bots so that they'll find better offerings, but They'll also have dual supply arrangements or have multiple suppliers in different regions mm. so that you achieve that robustness that your firm needs for risk management. And that's good practice. Yeah, I mean, the people you're dealing with, I'm presuming, because according to your own uh, company literature here, you are managing more than $90 billion in spend annually mm. for big enterprises, uh, Coca-Cola, yep. Siemens, BMW, um, Samsung. So what you're explaining down to an idiot like me, thank, thank you, um, in, in layman's English, you don't have to, you don't have explained it in such terms to uh, procurement executives of these companies. They know, they know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, so they, they kind of understand that, yeah, there are, there are Ferraris and uh, antique cars out there when it comes to how you do sourcing. Mm-hmm. And but their challenge has always been trying to get the drivers of these. How do you get people who are sophisticated and trained on advanced techniques in sourcing and supply chain management? And there's very, very few of those around. So when you say to them that look, we've got the bots to execute best practice, be alive 24/7 to supply chain disruptions, and execute these processes faster than a human could, mm-hmm. then. That's 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 exactly what they're looking for, really. So it's it's that's why we're kind of on a, on a charge at the moment. By the way, that's the second time you've used the Ferrari as a metaphor, and you used mm. another a, a driver metaphor as well. Is it? Is are you a car person? Yep, you are. Um, 
Tesla all the way. <laughs> oh, you're one of those uh, car people. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more, less a petrol head, more more techy. Um, so I, we even within our, our app, we've got notions of things like um, autopilot. That's a key feature uh, in our, our system. So you can start to autopilot opening and closing of rounds of bidding and the feedback you give to bidders and messaging you give to them. So uh, you know, and we even have the notion of level four high automation versus level five autonomous systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we're and we're moving. I would say we we can move. Forward faster than the car companies because you know if you get something wrong in procurement, no one dies, right? So you can you don't have those limitations. That's what's slowing down uh, autonomous systems for driving is uh, the edge cases and the safety concerns. Um, so we don't have those limitations. That's why we're, we're pushing ahead with a, even a contest later on this year where we're going to have a sourcing bot competing against an expert buyer somebody with decades of experience in buying mm. ocean freight procurement and uh, has all the relationships you could you could uh, imagine, black book full of top executives in the steamship lines, but can they beat an ocean freight sourcing bot? Because are you going to hype it up? Are you going to, are you going to have the contest in the, the back garden of one of the industry's biggest uh, uh, fight promoters or anything like that? It's it's going to be in a in a studio in Dublin where we'll be filming it and be much more like a game show or a football match where the scores will be uh, counted. The ju- we'll have judges. Who would you get to commentate? How would the commentating process on that go? I'm kind of fascinated. By yeah, that. we well we've we've got we've had these discussions internally, and some some of our professional services team will be on the panel. So uh, Chris Walsh is um, one of our most experienced experts, and he's he, he he's he's he'll be like our Roy Keane on the panel. Oh. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll be getting other uh, experts from the ocean freight industry, and uh, we're we're bringing David McWilliams. Uh, uh, he'll be like our our pitch site Marty Morrissey, interviewing expert buyers, and uh, we've also brought in Gary Kasparov as a guest speaker. Who this is no is, small budget affair. You're throwing those no, names around. This is proper. This is this is a proper show. Yeah. Huh. And, and so you were thinking with the whole COVID nineteen lockdown. Now there's no sport. I know. Yeah, that's that's a creator own sport, and we're gonna have a mixture of of uh, like basketball score sc- scores. We're gonna have Eurovision con- uh, judges, you know, where we go to our our juror in Munich, uh, who will be uh, judging whether the bot or the expert buyer came up with the best offer for you know, somebody some container has had a, movement. Somebody has a lot, had a lot of fun uh, dreaming this up. Yeah, uh, by the sound oh, of it's getting crazily creative. <laughs> we're we're we're. we're uh, and when's that? September, October? Did you say? That's that's going to be November. 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 Okay. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that one. Um, Before I go on and ask you about the funding process, you moved once upon a time, you worked in UCC in in University College Cork um, in the computer computer sciences department, was it? That's that's it. Yes. Uh, I was in, I was, uh, I I used to teach uh, taught masters in intelligence systems. And back then, that was like, I left there in 2012. Hmm. It was actually difficult to get uh, students to sign up for a master's in AI. Um, and, and they were all going to telecoms and, and other, where you'd be shaking your head, going, oh my gosh, future's AI, guys, not, not telecoms. <laughs> and uh, now, now there's, you know, you can, you can have any 
number of students of course but um we struggled to get 12 or 15 students for top masters in in and and uh, so like we were in, encountering lots of challenges um uh, i was working in a research lab it's called insight center now it was 4c back then and uh, i in my own case i used to teach auction theory game theory and, and optimization machine learning and there's lots of interesting challenges in the intersection between economics and computer science mm-hmm. um but AI can be used for almost any sphere, and it's truly going to, you know, radically disrupt so many, so many industries over the next. I mean, a 10 PhD now in AI, for example, this is I, I don't know any, but I read that if you want to, you know, write your own, uh, write your own salaries, you either become well at the moment a hairdresser uh, or a PhD in a, in AI, and they're, they're so sought after. And the mm-hmm. you know the the offers that come in are so exorbitant now. Yeah, um, it, it's I would say it's more it's less on, on salary. It's more on the options now, right? So what we one of the first things we did when we created Kilgar was have uh, employee share options pool, um, and and early had to give the options to the guys to say, look, this is going to be very valuable someday, and. Don't worry too much about salary because this will be much, much more valuable for you. That's and an interesting pitch. Don't worry too much about salary because uh, well, you pay them. You have to you have to pay them a decent salary, but you do have to also say to them, there's little point in going out to San Francisco and getting two hundred, two fifty k per annum, uh, where two hundred k of that is going to go anyway in your in, 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 in just living costs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you won't come back from there rich. Whereas if you actually build a company here in Ireland you'll do far better. You can have a higher, you know, better quality of life, keep in touch with all your family and friends, and you can be wealthier. So you can have it all here. In That's an, it's an interesting pitch, and it's one that um, I hear from quite a few uh, entrepreneurs. They normally have one thing in common, though. They're normally not 25 or 26. They often or usually have families or are embedded in the communities already where... Uh, mm. where they live. Um, but actually, I want to, it leads me on to the funding question because um, Kilvar is one of maybe six or seven companies this year in Ireland that has raised over uh, 15 million euro. Um, but you went outside the state for that. Now, you're not alone. I, I did a, um, I wrote a big feature a couple of weeks ago asking people like Shane Curran, uh, John Golding and Joe Lennon, who you might know um, yeah. in, in WorkViva, they all went outside the state for their funding. Yeah. And the question I had for them, and I'm, I'm going to ask you, is what was it about going to VCs elsewhere or or funds elsewhere that, uh, why did you do that? Uh, they have much deeper pockets for starters, so they can make faster decisions. And they also tend to be closer to, you know, if, if you decide to go down the path of VC funding, you do need to be looking ahead to, okay, what's the natural next step? If you do uh, progress to a Series B or Series C and having lead investors that are close to those potential investors is strategically advantageous too. So, uh, you know, we do have to accept reality that, uh, when it comes to financial markets, Ireland is a relative backwater 
uh, we're never going to be like New York or London that way. There's no point in trying to be a financial centre for tech industry. But what we can be is a centre for growing um, innovative uh, technology firms with, uh, with with a deep technology advantage. You know, I think our, our some of our best tech young tech firms uh, have come with come come from CS programs in in Trinity UCC it's UCD. Computer science, yeah. It's it's very much computer science. It's it's it's. I would encourage all young people who are considering their their options. Computer science gives you so many more options. You know, if you find later on in your life you like you like the field of medicine, you like the field of civil engineering, CS can bring you into those fields because you can develop software for those industries and get, learn more about those industries and what you know and how to improve them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can hear the the UCC lecture and you still somewhere yeah. somewhere yeah. buried in there. Um, but on, on the funding, I mean, did you look around here first or were you no. conscious, you, you, you were aware of, of what you needed to do? Yeah, I hopped on the planes, first thing I did. Uh, actually, wasn't anticipating um, US investors. I actually, our first call with, uh, I used it as a practice run. Uh, it was, I just, you know, you get inbounds and you're, and you're a tech CEO, you get inbounds from VC saying, hey, are you open to funding? And I responded to one saying, yeah, actually, we are just about to launch Series A and had a first call with um, Elephant VC from New York. And they said, look, that sounds right up our street. This procurement tech is hot space. They were on a flight, came over the next week. And meanwhile, that week, I had some trips to London because London is a great center worldwide for our VC. It's, it's such a concentration. You could literally go around four or five VCs in one day in a square mile and have your pitches all done uh, and then come back a second day and there's another square mile where you have four or five more you can you can do things efficiently and it's a, and a very important aspect of running a VC process is that you do things simultaneously because if you want competition for your equity you want bids to be coming in simultaneously there's mm-hmm. no point in sequencing discussions you want parallel discussions uh, so you do, do need to do things quickly so that's why um, finance uh, at Financial centres will always survive and thrive because CEOs need speed in a process like that. Um, and meanwhile, that the pandemic started to hit during this process, but it didn't affect our process anyway. None of the VCs who were uh, interested, none of them, their, their interest didn't go down by any uh, in any way because we're just so fortunate to, that we're counter-cyclical. Um, so... Because elephants, um, I think, are a Boston, New York, East Coast, yeah. US uh, fund. I think Mosaic are Californian, Silicon Valley. Um, uh, no, no? London, they're London. Yeah. So that's Some where the, you would have made that connection yeah. in London. Well, okay. That's it. So, and that was an inbound, that was an inbound connection from them. No, uh, no. elephants was an inbound, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but Mosaic, I'd reached out to them because they're on my list of kind of top 10 series, series A funds in London. Right. That's, uh, there was actually there was actually one VC who prepared a list of the top ten uh, Series A funds in London, and their own fund wasn't in the top ten, <laughs> but it was a great list. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't call to the guy who wasn't on the top ten, but he, he prepared a great list. And that's it's as simple as that, really. You know, if you have ticked off the metrics on your growth rate, your annual recurring revenues, blue chip customers, uh, strong customer references. 
that's you know that's what it's yeah then the rest of the story uh, about the future growth path and why that can continue the way it has been going that's what you need then um Mm. so if you've got all that then you're in a very strong position to execute quickly Um, and you you had a fair bit of that lined up already clearly yeah um but did you so you were in uh, you were in a somewhat exalted space relative to a startup, for example. Was it the case, though, in uh, embarking on this Series A, that there was no point in looking for less than 10 or 15 million because that's not the space in which these funds play? It's, well, you, uh, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to be in a certain revenue range, right? So, uh, you know, and... The Series A funds would say, you know, between two and five million annual recurring revenue. If you if you're in in there and you've got growth rates of between eighty and one hundred and fifty percent, eighty to any percentage, they won't limit on the upside. <laughs> but uh, if you're in that uh, range, um, then you're clearly doing something right. So then the partners will want to talk to you, and you can get to the talk to the partners quickly. If if uh, so, you, what we did, I guess, was we were patient. And we, we, we worked diligently for a few years in making sure our core product was very strong. And we had very happy customers who, uh, when we started selling them automation on top of optimization, they were, sign me up, guys. Yeah, we want it. And um, then we realized, yeah, we've, t- we've ticked all these boxes. And they wanted so so much more of what we were doing that we had capacity issues in just trying to serve, service all the existing customers. So we needed to grow our team and hire, 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 and not be trying to wait for the next deal to close to hire. So that organic growth would have definitely curtailed our, our, our revenue and growth. What, so. what I go back to the question earlier on of moving from an academic background, UCC, into a, a much maybe a faster paced uh, tech startup funding VC world. What was that a big shift for you? If you're having to realize that to not depend on organic growth, to build the plans for your company in a very in a very fast way, rather than a structured two to five year medium term, which might be more the hallmark of um, the way an academic institution professional might think, if I may categorize it um, uh, that way. Was there any shift in mindset required there? Not right. I, I guess I'm. Am I maybe making too many assumptions? Different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose I'm a little different to most academics in that I came from an entrepreneurial family, and in some ways I was an entrepreneur in academics clothing in UCC, uh, whereas some of the tech startups that come out of universities are academics in entrepreneurial clothing. Um, it's better to be the other way around, I think. Because what you'll find is when you start your own business, you're going to hit lots of hurdles. And what it requires more than anything else is tenacity to succeed. It's not the, uh, it's not the brightest or the sharpest academics who necessarily have the most successful businesses. It, it's the more, most tenacious or the people who are willing to overcome whatever hurdle it comes their way and fight on, fight on, and fight, keep fighting on. Um, that's 
the key to to success in the end. I'm sure there's a whole other podcast in um, in talking about mm. what those uh, challenges were, but that's about as as much time as we have for. But um, uh, Alan, I really appreciate appreciative that you came on the podcast today to talk about it. Hope uh, we'll talk to you again sometime, and and the very best of yep. luck uh, with the company. Uh, so that was Alan Holland, founder and CEO of Kielvar, and that's all we have time for this week uh, on the Big Tech Show. Um, I hope you'll join us again same time next week from me, Adrian Weckler. Bye bye. <laughs>